The deflationary noises grow louder and louder and louder. So loud, they are hearing them very clearly right across the ocean in the Middle East. Even as U.S. Treasury yields back up a bit here, especially at the short-term end of the yield curve, maybe that's a fluctuation, maybe that's debt ceiling nerves. They backed up a little bit too in Germany, though not to nearly the same extent, and they haven't backed up at all the long-term JGB yields that we watch as a proxy for the Asian dollar, which... China reopening RIP makes a lot of sense, where most of the deflationary pressure right now focused on Asia. As I mentioned in a recent video, that, meant, that means weakness in CNY, China's yuan, as well as JPY, Japan's yen, along with others, including India's rupee. It's gotten to be such a, such a problem in India that the Reserve Bank of India has been forced to regularly intervene. Here's what uh, one trader said just recently. The RBI has become a major player in the Forex market, which is not a good sign because it is a deflationary sign in money as a, as a proxy for the global economy, particularly the Asian part of it. This brings us, of course, to OPEC. OPEC, which has fought a running battle with weakening demand and growing problems in dollar liquidity, just today, Saudi, uh, Saudi oil minister, Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman, he warned oil speculators, those who are really short oil prices, they're in for more ouchies. He actually said that apparently. What he said was, speculators like in any market, they are there to stay. I keep advising that they will be ouching. They did ouch in April. I don't have to show my cards. I'm not a poker player. But I would just tell them, watch out. Well, maybe they did some ouchies in April when oil prices in the U.S. got up to around 80-some dollars a barrel, low 80s. But as we know, the reason the prince is talking about oil prices again and threatening, essentially, reading between the lines here, more production cuts is because we can see what's happening. Demand and money are conspiring to lower oil prices to the point that this deflationary signal is being read loud and clear, being received loud and clear in Saudi Arabia, at least. And of course, with oil, OPEC's meeting coming up, the prince is posturing for, for perhaps more production cuts to try to firm up oil prices as oil prices continue to trend more down than stable. In fact, CNBC wrote, I mean, CNBC of all places wrote this following paragraph after reporting on Prince Abdulaziz's comments. In the weeks since April's voluntary cuts were announced, crude prices have been depressed on the back of banking turmoil, recessionary signals, and a slower than expected Beijing reopening and subsequent uptick in demand from China, the world's largest importer of oil. Basically everything that you would expect of an increasingly deflationary economy. But it's not just oil, it's not just China, we're seeing it all over the place. We've got a bunch of economic data today. We've got commodity prices to go over. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University has memberships available. We talk about the background behind the Eurodollar system, what it is, why it is, what it actually means as a global reserve currency, and how it works, which is the most important part. We have research subscriptions available. Uh, partnership with marketsinsiderpro.com. I contribute a daily briefing there on macro stuff as well as some curve stuff, what's going on in the markets. 
And I do a daily deep dive analysis at the Eurodollar University website, diving deep into all of these things, not just oil and commodities or deflation. Maybe someday we'll actually talk about real inflation. That's a possibility, though I'm not holding my breath. And if you want to hold your breath or not hold your breath with me, check it out, eurodollar.university. After the Saudi prince's comments threatening, essentially, more production cuts, basically confirming the deflationary signal in oil prices, oil prices rebounded a little bit, though they started to roll over relatively quickly because either the market's not buying his bluster or the market is saying, yeah, we hear your production cuts and we're raising you lower demand and money. Those are by far the bigger factors in, oil, in the oil market even as the oil market is continuously constrained on the supply side. But as I mentioned, this is not just about OPEC. This is not just about oil. We see commodities, especially the industrial commodities, rolling over, having gone lower and starting to go lower, even lower again. Just today, Dr. Copper, copper prices were down to around 361 per pound before rebounding a little bit. And at last check, we're around 363, which is a new multi-month low. Given where gold prices are, you know what that means in the copper to gold ratio, multi-year low. In other ones, uh, Chinese steel, which is something you should always watch as a measure of not just Chinese demand or Chinese manufacturing, but as a global proxy too, because China, when they're building lots of stuff, that means lots of other economic activity and demand for stuff around the rest of the world. Right now, China steel in Shanghai, 3559 in the RMB, which is right at a multi-month low. Aluminum prices, 22.42, right at a multi-month low. Iron is off a little bit from its multi-month low, but right near a multi-month low. Because as China reopening failed and became a, uh, clearly started to fail, what happened was we had a little bit of a short-term dead cat bounce as there were rumors that Beijing was going to respond to the utter failure in China reopening, the lack of economic rebound and recovery with a rush of stimulus, which as Eurodollar University and Eurodollar University show fans know, China doesn't do that. They're on this managed decline course, which means they're not coming in. They're not going to be stimulating. They're just trying to manage the decline so that it, the, the downside risks don't get out of control which means that if the economy is going to slow down or even get into recession, that's all you can expect the Chinese to do, which the PBOC just the other day um, influenced other, the banking system to leave the loan, loan prime rates steady for the 10th consecutive month, even though loan prime rates haven't been reduced all that much over the last couple of years, which have been some of the worst years in Chinese economic history. Again, managed decline. They're not going to rescue the world from its recessionary, deflationary recession fate, to borrow Ben Bernanke's phrase from 2002. So commodities are making deflationary noises. OPEC, obviously, they're thinking the same exact thing because they see lack of demand, not just in the marketplace, not just short sellers and hedge funds that are ultra short oil, they know what's going on in China. They know what's going on in the rest of the world. And to that end, we got economic data today, a whole bunch of PMIs, which, I mean, this part of the, this time of the month, that's usually what we get. And a little bit of a, little bit of a diverging split here, a little bit of a, a little bit of bifurcation, at least according to one series, the S&P Global series, which suggests that in the United States and Europe, Service sector uh, industries are experiencing a bit of a rebound, while manufacturing industries, 
like commodities, which, I mean, that makes sense, commodity prices and manufacturing demand are starting to really fall off a cliff. But before, let's talk about the manufacturing before we get to the services, because the manufacturing is where the price pressures are really going to, to diminish, in fact, flip from positive to negative. S&P Global reported their manufacturing PMI for the entire U.S. economy down to 48.5 from 50.2 in April. So that's 48.5 for the first, uh, first May measure. That makes six out of the last seven under 50. The manufacturing PMI had ticked up a little bit, uh, especially in March and then April. April got above 50 for the first time, and now we're right back over again, which is consistent with the rest of the PMIs, which you'll see in a minute. But what was interesting about what the, the press release for uh, what S&P Global said, demand conditions weakened notably. The fall in new orders was solid overall and the quickest for the three months, for three months. Weighing on total sales was a steeper decline in new export orders. Overseas sales decreased at a sharp rate that, with the exception of the initial pandemic period, was the fastest since May 2009. Global trade recession. We've been talking about that for a while, and here it is showing up in uh, the manufacturing PMI by SPG. But it's not just about the overseas global trade recession or overseas global recession. It's always globally synchronized. And here's the synchronization in terms of U.S. manufacturers. Backlogs fell sharply and at the fastest, pay, fastest rate in three years. There was a notable turnaround in inflationary pressure at manufacturers midway through the second quarter as input prices fell for the first time since May 2020. So we're getting deflationary warnings in the PMIs, particularly with backlogs falling, because what that means is with new orders having been lower and going con contracting continuously for many months, work, uh, firms have to work through their backlogs of old orders. And once they do, without new incoming orders, there's nothing left for their workers. Because they have no backlogs, they have no new orders, it's time to start firing people because you have nothing for them to do. It would not, without nominal revenue still increasing at the same rate, prices and everything we see there, it's layoff time. So as companies get through their backlogs, that brings us closer and closer to the ultimate, the ultimate deflationary cliff. And it wasn't just in the United States. In Europe, the same exact thing. S&P Global in Europe, their PMI fell to 44.6 from 45.8. That's a 36-month low in Europe. Here's what they said there. Output growth across the region consequently exceeded growth of new orders to a degree not seen since early 2009. That sounds good, but it's actually really bad. The relatively faster pace of outgrowth was, uh, output growth was again supported by companies fulfilling orders placed in prior months causing backlogs of work to fall at an increased rate. Thus, like commodities, there's going to be less demand for future production because once the backlogs are gone without new orders, that's it. That's why commodities are getting weaker. Plus, you add in China reopening failing, and you wonder why uh, Prince Abdulaziz is talking about more oil cuts from OPEC. Maybe that's a, just a threat to try to firm up oil prices. Maybe there's more to it, but either way, even the prince is talking about a weak global economy ahead. We also got uh, the PMI from Rich, the Richmond Fed in manufacturing. That went from, from minus 10 to minus 15 in May. New orders minus 29 from minus 20. And again, they mentioned the reduction in backlogs. 
deflationary signals in U.S. and European demand to go with what we're seeing in commodities. But what about services? Because according to S&P Global, there's a bit of a renaissance, maybe even a mini boom. Well, not that, not to that degree, but a little bit of a revival in services in the U.S. as well as Europe, though Europe may be already rolling over. Their PMI services in the United States went from 55.1, from 53.6 rather, to 55.1, which is a 13-month high. So according to S&P Global, services is doing much better this year. In Europe, it was 55.9, though that was down from 56.2 in April. But these S&P Global services numbers are outliers. And I mean that in, in the literal sense, because there are all the other services numbers, including the ISMs for the United States. They don't see the same thing at all. Yesterday, we got from the Chicago Fed, its services sector PMI uh, survey, but not really a, an improvement. And minus 37 had been the lowest since 2020. And as the survey, uh, as the survey, uh, as the Chicago Fed said about the survey, respondents' outlook for the U.S. economy for the next 12 months deteriorated slightly and remained pessimistic on balance. Not just pessimistic; these numbers are solidly recession. 60% of respondents expected a decrease in economic activity over the next 12 months. These are service sector respondents, not manufacturing. It's much worse than manufacturing. These are service sector respondents. They also said the pace of current hiring decreased, but respondents' expectations for the pace of hiring over the next 12 months increased. Good for them. But both hiring indexes remain negative. Oh, there it goes. This is a big one. The labor cost pressures index decreased, as did the non-labor cost pressures index. Both cost pressures indexes remained negative. Again, demand weakening, prices rolling over, deflationary noises becoming louder and louder. And here in services, that point was echoed in the Richmond Fed services sector industry survey, which was released also uh, also today. The Richmond Fed actually got much better. It went from minus 23 uh, to from minus 23 to minus 10, but Minus 10 is still in solidly recession territory. And this is not something that's unusual for these services PMIs or any PMIs on a month-to-month basis. You go back to 2008, January to February 2008, it went from minus 10 to minus 2. July to October 2008, the Richmond Fed Services Survey went from minus 16 to minus 9, then minus 23 and right off a cliff. So the S&P Global Survey says the services economy seems to be doing better, but I think that's more seasonal adjustments than anything else, um, really reflecting the, the big 2020 decreases that have probably left an imprint on seasonal factors, although why it's just S&P Global, not these others, don't know. But we continue to see services sector problems. In fact, get in the Richmond Fed, uh, Richmond Fed Services Survey, It said the average growth in prices paid decreased notably in May, while the growth of prices received decreased somewhat. Firms expect both growth rates to moderate over the coming year. In other words, again, at least here, disinflation, where it's deflation, especially in manufacturing, because there's less and less and less demand. And so there's less and less and less work for manufacturers to work through. Commodity prices, U.S. dollar, particularly in Asia, 
all the economic data moving closer and closer to recession, few outliers notwithstanding. So it's understandable why OPEC would want to, well, unofficially declare war on deflation because they can see what's coming. And what's coming is not inflation. If it was, they would be only too happy to just be content here. What's coming is not inflation. Deflationary noises, as I said, getting louder and louder and louder, especially globally synchronized, because it's usually globally synchronized and we're just left with varying degrees of problems. I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, huge thank you, Eurodollar University members, Eurodollar University subscribers, MarketsInsiderPro.com subscribers. Until next time, take care.